Before we start, let me just pray real quick for the night and just invite the Lord to be with us. Father God, how wonderful it is to know you. To come together as a community, as children of yours. To get to know about you, your word, what a privilege that is. Holy Spirit, we invite you tonight. We ask you that you touch our hearts, that you open our minds, and that you take us wherever you need to take us. Lord, thank you for your wisdom, and thank you for making it available to us. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So tonight, we are going to be all about Ruth. It's her turn. It is her turn. And we're going to, we're going to get to know this young lady who showed everyone around her that nothing is impossible. This young lady that showed us that taking big chances for the sake of love is always worth it. That trusting God is the best risk you can ever take in your life. That's a risky thing. That's a thing worthwhile doing. And before we go deep into her story, I just want to do a brief, brief, brief recap of last week for those of you that were not here with us. What we did is we looked at our first Bible study tool, which was context. Thank you, Joan. Joan paid attention. Context, 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 context. We also looked at the original, at the words um, lechem and almana, which are the Hebrew words for bread and widow. Do you remember that? We looked at this irony when we were talking about the famine, that in Bethlehem, in the house of bread, there was no bread. And we looked about the other irony of Naomi, who was a widow called Almana, that one who cannot speak. And she was speaking a lot. And through these tools, we got to know Naomi a bit more intimately. We got to understand her context, her situation, her tough life, and we went down with her in her suffering. I actually got a few emails from you saying, Gabby, that was so dense. I had to go home and pray. And, and I, it's not that I wanted to be mean, but that was the purpose. That's exactly what I wanted to happen, for us to feel what she felt, because unless we do that, there's no, there's no true empathy. So we went down with her in her suffering, and now today we're going to look at Ruth, and we're going to learn different things. But right off the bat, let me just tell you one thing. Everything we learned about Naomi, about her circumstances, everything applies for Ruth as well. Same thing. Her circumstances were rough as well. She was also poor. She was also a woman, which sounds kind of obvious, but it's important, as you know now. Because as a woman, she got to experience the risks that any woman in that time experienced. She was also a widow. She was also an immigrant. And on top of that, she was barren. Now, there's a difference between her and Naomi. Naomi was childless. But Naomi had had the opportunity to have children. She had had two sons. They died. Now, Ruth could not 
have children. And only women that have gone through that or are going through that can truly understand the pain. So Ruth was in pain as well. And life for her was tough as well. But what was different between Ruth and Naomi is that while her circumstances were really tough, her attitude was very different. In the face of struggle, her attitude was optimistic, which wasn't exactly the case for Naomi. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Ruth's, Ruth's attitude. And we're going to learn from that. We're going to pay close attention to her choices, which was informed and influenced by that, by that attitude that she presented. And the way we're going to do that, the way we're going to get to know Ruth this time, is through our third study tool, which is genre. We already looked at context, meaning of a word in its original language. That's the second one. And the third one is genre. Now, what does genre have to do with the Bible? As you all know, the word genre is simply a category of music, film, or a piece of literature. That's a, that's a simple definition. I was actually, when I was working on this, because genre is such a weird word for me, I was explaining to you this big definition, and then someone said, everybody knows what genre is. <laughs> I thought, oh, let me scratch that. I didn't know. <laughs> so you all know that. But what you probably don't know is that it's actually a French word that we all get to butcher in English. It's genre. Is Monique here? Monique? Genre? Oui? Très bien? Got it. Now, there are many different genres in the artistic world. See, in the film industry, we have science fiction. We have romantic comedies. We have, uh, where am I? Yeah, we have cartoons. We have sports movies. We have horror movies. In literature, I think we're lost in the slide. Can we go either back or to the next one? Yeah, so science fiction. That, those were my, my hints. Romantic comedy, cartoon, horror film, sports film, all of them. Those are examples for movies. Now, in literature, we have novels, we have short stories, we have fiction, we have poems, we have the Constitution, official documents, letter. All those are different genres as well. And believe it or not, we also have different genres in the Bible. We do. We do. We have narrative. We have prophecy. We have books of wisdom. We have law. Apocalyptic literature. Gospel, epistles. Now, why is it important to know the genre of the book we're studying? Why would we care? Well, because each genre has a purpose. When the author writes any, any kind of composition, he or she has a purpose in mind, but we don't always pay attention to that when it comes to the Bible. Because we just lump all the books together into one big category, the Word of God. And that's true. It is the Word of God. But not every book is the same. They're different. And unless we know the, the purpose, we're going to miss out on some things or we're going to bring things out of context. For instance, the purpose of narrative is to tell, it's simply to tell you a story. 
It's a narration of an event or a series of events that happened throughout a specific period of time. And then there might be another purpose. You know, that's the larger purpose. And then the author may want you to know how brave this person was, which is similar to our class. Or maybe the author wants you to know about this love story and how it all came together. In the case of um, prophecy, the purpose of prophecy is to, to communicate to people a message that comes from God. And these messages are usually given through a prophet that received some kind of revelation from God. And here we have the book of Isaiah or Micah or Daniel. All those are some examples. We also have books of wisdom. And they include maxims and sayings about practical living or the meaning of life. Now, they are not the law. They're, they're, they're advice. You don't have to follow it. But if you do, great things can happen. We have the law, and that includes the instructions given to Moses. They set the boundaries or the regulations that a certain group of people need to follow to have some kind of order in the society. Now, we have apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic. Got it. And it describes events or warnings about the end times. And usually it's a catastrophe and big drama. Gospel literature, you know that. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, the life and the works of Jesus. And epistles, which comes from the Greek word epistelon, which means to send. And these are letters containing a particular message sent to a particular congregation or a particular group of people in a particular time with a specific context and circumstance that the letter was addressing. We should never forget that. Now, out of all of these genres, which one do you think is the book of Ruth? No. It's apocalyptic. <laughs> yes, it is narrative. It's, it's easy. That one, was, that one was easy. Well, it is narrative. It is a story. And we're going to look at three main scenes from this story that will help us understand the character of Ruth. We're going to watch a movie. See? Now, the first scene happens on the way to Bethlehem. The second scene takes place in the grain fields when, when Ruth goes out to find food. And then the third one happens in the threshing floor when Ruth spends the night with Boaz and something happens. <laughs> we don't know. We'll get to that. That's controversial. Now, today we're only going to look at the first one. And then we'll look at the rest. So I always have, you know, I always give you things so that you come back. <laughs> so the first one, as, as we go through all these scenes and every part of the, of the narrative, we're going to pay particular attention to the kind of choices that Ruth made. That's what we just said. And then we will be highlighting how those choices reflect chesed. Hmm. Yeah. Did you do your homework? Yes. Wonderful. So what does chesed mean? Does anyone want to share? Loving kindness. Loving kindness. Yep. Mercy. Mercy. Loyalty. I could not hear that one. What? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Yes. All those are great words that describe in one way or another chesed. 
You did. Tell us about it. Mm. I'm not sure that's Hesed, but it would be interesting to look in it. Wow, that's great. We're not going to look at that today. Today we're positive. We've been suffering enough. <laughs> all right, so as you all know, Hesed has many different meanings, but it's, I don't know if you came across this, but Hesed is a very difficult word to translate. It's, it's just hard because it's very complex. And so no single word truly captures what it means. Translators have used words like the ones you just showed, I mean, shared with us. Kindness or loving kindness or mercy or faithfulness or loyal love. And all these words, they're okay, but they're, they don't give us the full picture. And so I have a, a definition for you that I want to read because Hesed is more like a, it's more like a lifestyle. It's a kind of love that makes you put the needs of others first and to think about you at the end. It's a love that is selfless. And so this definition is by Carolyn Custis James. And she describes this like this. Chesed is one of those, no, if one, is one of the most potent words in the Old Testament. It sums up the ideal lifestyle for God's people. It is the way God intended for human beings to live together from the beginning. An active, selfless, sacrificial caring for one another that goes against the grain of our fallen natures. Chesed is driven not by duty or legal obligation, but by a bone-deep commitment, a loyal, selfless love that motivates a person to do voluntarily what no one has a right to expect or ask of them. Chesed is the kind of love we find most fully expressed in Jesus. And in a nutshell, chesed is the gospel lived out. Powerful. It's one of the most powerful words in the Bible. This bo- the, the book that I, that I was reading for this is called The Gospel of Ruth. And that's, I think, a very accurate title. I highly recommend it. I'm using it a lot for this class. And something that's very interesting about the book of Ruth is that it's, it's all about chesed. That's one of the main purposes of the author. And while it's one of the main purposes, what's interesting is that you, you do not see it described anywhere. You, ju- you just see it being exercised by people. Because the purpose of the author is to show you how this amazing attribute of God can look like when it is exercised by ordinary people. And you know what happens? They stop being ordinary. They stop being ordinary. So let's look at this first scene in detail. The scene one on the way to Bethlehem. Now last week we ended, we, it, was, it was hard, it was tough, it was a lot of suffering, but we ended with hope. Remember, at the end of the first chapter, it says that um, Naomi found out that there was food. Finally, in the house of bread, there was bread again. And so they were heading back because the barley harvest was beginning. And, and Naomi resolved to go back. And she was on her way out with her two daughters-in-law. And that's where this scene starts. And this entire scene is just dialogue. So it's almost like a, like a, um, a script for a play to make it more personal and more emotional. And so we're going to be following this script. And it's from verse 8 in chapter 2 to verse 13. 
So the, the scene begins with Naomi asking her daughters to leave. And she says, Go back, each of you. Go back to your mother's home. And may the Lord show kindness, chesed, to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Again, that's her most pressing need. That's the only way out in her head. They need a husband. Or there's no choices for them. Now, before we, we move on, I just want to pause for a little bit here. Because I think that we need to give credit to Naomi for what she just did, for what she just said. Because if we remember the context, we know she's about to go on a journey where there is zero future for her. No husband, no sons, no father-in-law, no no one to speak for her. So anyone in their right mind would know that it's better to have someone to keep her company instead of traveling alone. But Naomi, she's not thinking about herself. She's thinking about the well-being of, the, of her daughters-in-law. She wants the best for them. And she just said it, made the Lord show you chesed. She wants the absolute best for her daughters-in-law. And that's, and th- that's powerful. Because we tend to see her as just this bitter person again. And in the midst of her suffering, she is thinking about someone else. And now we can begin to look at Naomi differently. We can give her a little bit more grace. And this side of Naomi really challenged me personally as I was studying this because... So many times it's been so easy for me to judge the choices that people make. Because I think, I wouldn't have done that. Many, many times. And this apparent rejection makes me think of all the times when I have judged women that I've given away their kids to someone else to raise them. But now, after reading this, I wonder how many of those mothers that I've criticized did it because they wanted the absolute best for their babies. Because maybe, maybe their poverty was so extreme, it was going to be fatal for the baby. Maybe her lifestyle was dangerous, and it could have been a threat to the child's life. We don't know, this. We don't know what informs each decision we make, but the book of Ruth teaches us about Hesed, and it also teaches us compassion. And that's something I learned by studying this. Now let's go back to the script. I get very emotional because I've criticized a lot in the past. Going back to the script, we have uh, the response of Naomi's daughters-in-law. And what they say is, no, 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 we will go back with you and your people, Naomi. And Naomi starts to get frustrated She's a little bit more frustrated. And she said, no, 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 no. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? No, return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried? For them, Would you remain in that situation as an unmarried woman for them? No, my daughters. 
It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord hand has gone out against me. Ooh, you would not want to miss with Naomi at this point. But she does have a point. She does have a big point. She's basically given them all the logical reasons why they should go back. I imagine her shaking them. Wake up! If you go back, you can have a better future. You won't have a better future with me. Coming with me is only going to be bad news for you. You can go back to your people, to what you know, to your customs. And you know what? You can go back to your gods because mine, mine's against me. You don't want to follow my God. My, fa- my God is mean because that's the theology under which she was operating. This is, your, this is your chance to have a fresh start. Take it. This is an emotional narrative. Now we know that Ruth and Orpah weep, and then they hug each other, and then finally Orpah goes home. Because Naomi's right. There is nothing for her in, in Bethlehem. And if she felt any kind of responsibility towards her mother-in-law, Naomi definitely released her from it. It's okay. Don't feel like you have to come with me. I wouldn't hold it against you. I actually want you to go. Please go. And Orpah says, I'll go. Then Orpah leaves. Ruth stays. And Naomi looks at her. Imagine the scene. Goodbye. She goes. Naomi's, Ruth is still staying. Naomi's going like, You're next. (laughs) So she speaks again. She says, look, how many times do I need to say it to you? Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go with her. And this, we have the movie theme. So this is probably one of those scenes when there's a big zoom in and the music gets loud and there's a time like frozen and the audience is waiting. What is she going to say? Finally, Ruth responds to her, and she says one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. She says, look, Naomi, you don't understand how much I love you. You don't understand how much I care for you, so please do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you, because where you go, I'll go, and where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be your God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. I am never coming back. May the Lord deal with me. Yeah, that God of yours that's against you. May the Lord deal with me. Be it ever so severely if anything but death separates me from you. That's Hesed. This choice that Ruth made was nothing else but chesed. It was selfless. It was sacrificial. It was radical. And it was also very, very risky. Let us grab our context tool again. That's a very handy tool. Look, if you want to study the Bible, if you want to be an excellent student of the Bible... Context needs to be your best friend. You know what? Let me correct that. The Holy Spirit needs to be your best friend. And then the context. They're bodies too. So they're getting along well. See? Had to fix that. 
Anyway, let, we're going to grab that context tool again, and we're going to um, take a deeper look at this scene. We're just going deeper and deeper and deeper. We were going to see what Ruth was truly getting herself into. She was about to move to Israel, where everybody would know that she was a Moabite. Let's look at another aspect of the Israelite culture. Last week, we talked about patriarchy. That was one element of the culture. Now, this time, we're going to talk about the relationship between Israel and Moab in those times. So back then, if we were to go back in time, we would know that everyone, and I mean everyone, would have known that Israel and Moab were lifelong enemies. Anyone, every, every single person would know that. These countries did not like each other. Well, they were not countries back then. These groups did not like each other. And they were at war with each other a lot. It was difficult history. To give you a modern-day example, the relationship between Israel and Moab was just as difficult as, and, and as violent as the relationship between Israel and Palestine today. Lots of conflict, lots of conflict, lots of bombs, lots of mess. So to have Ruth going to Israel was tantamount to having a Muslim Palestinian move to Israel with a Jewish family. Unheard of. No, that doesn't happen. That's what Ruth was doing. So the long history of hostility and war among them was just one thing, but that's not it. Because even the law of the Israelites prohibited them to include Moabites in their community or to even help them in any shape or form. And we find that in Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 to 6. And I'm going to read it to you. Ammonites and Moabites cannot belong to the Lord's assembly. Moabites cannot belong to the Lord's assembly as a rule because they didn't help you with food or water on your journey out of Egypt. So do not be concerned with their health and well-being as long as you live. Other versions, the NIV version says, do not seek a treaty of friendship with them. And the New King James Version says, you shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. That was very clear, extremely clear. They were not to help them in any shape or form. Where, where, where was all this animosity and hatred coming from? This passage gives us a little hint. They had not helped them. The Moabites had not helped the Israelites a few hundred years prior to that time when they were coming out of Egypt. That's a hundred years and they're still remembering. But if we keep going back in time, we can go all the way back to Abraham and Lot. And that's where we see the origin of Moab. And you already know that. You did your homework. Did you read that part? Wasn't it tough to read that? For those of you that were not here last time, the homework was to read Genesis 19, verse 30 through verse 37. And that's the story of Lot and his daughters. And because they, he only had daughters and no sons, the lineage of the family was just going to end. Same situation that Naomi was facing. So the daughters of Lot got very creative. 
And they said, hmm, why don't we just get our dad drunk, have sex with him, and then we can bear children for him. Hopefully they will be sons. What a great idea. (laughs) I want to throw up just thinking about it. It's terrible. It's terrible. And in verses 36 and 37, we read that thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The oldest daughter bore a son, and she called his name Moab, who is the father of the Moabites to this day. When they were writing this, it was a long time, long time after the Lot thing happened. But they wanted to make sure they remembered where they came from. Oh, I know where you come from. I know everything about you. You're not going to fool me. In, one, in, in, a, in a way, they, they thought they were like bad offspring or something like that. But all of that is what awaited Ruth in Bethlehem. First, a few minutes ago, we were amazed at her choice because of all the things she was willing to let go of, all the things she was willing to leave behind, her life, her country, her customs. But now, now we're all the more amazed at her choice because of the situation she was getting herself into. I remember it's, sometimes I've faced situations when I need to say go, I mean let go of something, but I know I have a sweet job coming up for me. So that kind of helps me make that choice. But Ruth was getting herself into deep trouble. And she knew that very, very well. And what's interesting is that many of us have read this story, Ruth's response, and we've thought, oh, isn't that sweet? I, I used to read it like that. Oh, wonderful. That's beautiful. You can take your time to silence your cell phones. That would be great. Because <laughs> I get very distracted. See, I don't even know where I am now. So anyway, we tend to think, oh, what a wonderful thing to say. That's beautiful. But when we see it like that, that's another danger of seeing this story as a fairy tale. Remember we talked about that? It's not a fairy tale. It was real life. These were real choices and they were difficult. And now that we have, we have dissected the passage and found the thousands of reasons that she had not to go with Naomi, now that we've looked at all of that evidence, we don't say, oh, how sweet of a girl. You know what I want to say? I want to say, what the heck was she thinking? What's wrong with her? What was she doing? She was doing chesed. She was faced with a tough choice, and she chose chesed. Last class, we called it tough life. Now it's tough choice, but a worthy one. Was she, was she obliged to do that? No, she was not. Are we obliged to respond like Ruth? No. Chesed doesn't work like that. Plus, this is just a story. It's not the law. See what genre is different? It's just a story. You can take the lesson or you can leave it. But here are some lessons worth looking at from this tiny section of the book of Ruth. 
Ruth could have easily gone home, just like Orpah, and it would have been fine. It would have been okay. No one thinks of Orpah as a bad person. We don't. If anything, she was the smart one. She made a logical choice. But the difference between Orpah and Ruth is that Orpah went back to what was known to her, good or bad. She went back to what was known to her. But Ruth, Ruth took the biggest risk any woman could have taken. And through that risk, she met God. And she got to experience his love firsthand. Orpah didn't. Now, from the outset, we know right away that Ruth was a Moabite. Just like today, we know right away when someone is from another religion because their clothes tells us so. Just like right away, we know that someone is black because our skin tells us so. Or Latino because of their looks or their accents like mine. There are so many different categories or genres for people that we see right away because it's easy to see that. We know that for Ruth, she was an immigrant, she was a poor woman, all those things. Whatever stereotype you want to use. But the more we got to know her, and the more we looked at her life, her attitude, and her choices, the more the stereotype, which was right at the front, the more it moved back to the background. And then her essence and her personality and her worth came forward. That's what happens when you give people a chance. This is a great story. Let me tell you just one last thing. Most of the stories we like, or most of the movies we like, we like them because they make us feel something special. Or they have a great lesson. But no story, no movie... And no book will ever compare to the feeling and the thrill of living a life of chesed. Because only then is when you, when you truly face opportunities. When it's up, up to you to decide how you're going to respond. It's only then when we fully give ourselves to God and to others. And when we fully experience God. Because we have room for that. We have created that. So a question for you is, where are the Naomi's in your life? Who are the people that may need your Ruth-like presence? Or your Ruth-like choices? Or your Ruth-like chesed? Who are they? And are you willing to just show up? Or if you happen to be Naomi and not Ruth, the question for you is, where have you been looking for God's chesed? Have you opened your eyes to the roots that may be around you? Maybe a poor person or an illiterate person or an immigrant or any kind of outcast. If you're young, maybe it's an old person. You think they're too old. Maybe you're old and they think just too young. She can't know anything. Are you willing to reach out or to open your eyes to them? Because God uses those people in mighty ways. Let's start with our discussion for tonight. Bob.
Wow, I almost forgot that I was next. Uh, whoa, that's a good movie, huh? Wow. Well, um, kind of to warm up your small gr- your small groups, why don't we just um, share and reflect a little bit on what Gabby has just uh, shared with us. And um, we'll take about five minutes, uh, make sure that everybody gets a chance to share and talk about what um, caught their attention or their heart. And uh, in five minutes, we'll move on to the second question. Okay. As I moved around the room, uh, there was a lot of things that uh, touched you and uh, generated conversation within the group. And uh, that was great to to hear and great to see. So uh, now we're going to go a little bit deeper make it a little bit more personal, but in your groups, describe a time in your life where you experienced this belonging or chesed that we've been talking about. Remember to make sure that everybody in the group has the time to, to share, and as we mentioned last week, that it helps if you answer the question either in a word or a phrase or a sentence and try not to make a narrative out of your, uh, your answer. So we're going to take uh, a good amount of time. We'll take uh, about 10 minutes for this one, 10 minutes. So uh, talk about time when you experienced SF or belonging. Okay. I hate to interrupt, but uh, because I know the sharing is profound, um, because I've been listening in. It's been pretty fun. So the second question is, um, it's a little like the first question, except that um, describe a time when you experienced hesed or loving kindness from another person, or you are able to provide that has said or experience to others. And it, uh, from what I'm listening to the circles, it's probably the second part of it where you are able to provide it to others. Um, so another 10 minutes in that. And then um, after this 10 minutes of sharing, we're going to take an opportunity for to hear from the groups. So, um, and then as we did last week, we'll record what the comments were up on the board. So we'll keep a, a running total of the, the comments and what was said and shared. Okay, another 10 minutes. This is um, this is a great opportunity now to just share with everybody, the kind of things that were discussed and uh, kind of floated to the top. And uh, and then we'll, you know, everybody can learn from your conversation. So let's start uh, with this group, since I'm real close to this group. Do you you have uh, something that you'd like to share?
I guess what we came up with is Hesed would be like having the mind of Jesus and doing what Jesus would do in our life. Okay. Uh, having the mind of Jesus and do what Jesus would do in our life. And that's kind of the Hesed, kind of the essence of Hesed. Yeah. Great. Okay. Would you, would you guys like? Okay. So as um, these ladies shared stories, my takeaway is that they're living lives of this Hesed, and it's mostly in little ways, but pretty continually. Nothing as dramatic as what Ruth did, but um, and and. I'm just thinking right now, when you've got Jesus in you, then that is the life that you live, right? Thank you. Yes, amen to that. Okay. This group? We did it. You did it? All right. How about this group? Okay, I'll, I'll let you think for a moment, and then... But do yes. Yeah, I was going to say that there were a couple of examples in our group um, it, where there were... Um, some of us were in time of need, and God provi- provided uh, times of hesed through others uh, in order to draw us back to Him. You got that? Good. Thank you. You guys ready to share? Um, we were also discussing how Hesed moments are, um, I mean, Hesed can be applied in small opportunities and how. Before we're believers, there have been people that come alongside of us and show us that hesed. And then we have that aha moment afterwards uh, where God is little by little revealing himself. And when we're ready to uh, accept him, we see these moments that people have lived, poured out their lives on us. And so it's an opportunity to really... um, help someone come along to experience God um, that wouldn't necessarily have that opportunity. Profound. Okay, this group's ready now. We've got our act together. Um, I think what we were hearing one another say in many different ways was that um, we have experienced that loving community and that when life is very hard, um, when we're going through challenges to our faith, it has often been the body of Christ, the people of Christ who've come around us. And then in turn, as they've ministered to us, it has given us 
examples and ways to to pass that on or someone said to pay that forward to continue that that outward moving circle of faith thank you a lot of um, good things shared in our group um, from experiences of trusting God in radical ways to go from a very small country um, to have God bring them to another country and then ultimately here. Um, Actually, we had that in a couple of sets of circumstances and God's kindness even in bringing um, uh, somebody from an experience of the first move where there was lots of racism and um, not a good experience to bringing someplace where there was a lot more um, uh, uh, kind of like the world was brought to Los Angeles, as it were, you know. And um, and then there is also experiences of 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 radical faith in taking in a family member that was really, really ill um, and having God uh, make some radical um, promises in the life of this person and then and then the redemption that occurred through that and then you know trusting God with with illnesses in the family and and experience healing and then radical ways of God calling someone into ministry and then the opportunity to really care for people and see lives changing you know so really cool thank you all right thank you and Gabby we'll turn it back over to you for thank you so much Bob, those were great insights. I'm sure there was so much more to what um, we heard. Donna, thank you so much. I think it's wonderful that we can learn all these great things from, from ordinary people. But I also think that our top priority as students of the Bible is to discover what the Bible and what its characters reveal about God, who is the true hero here. You can't forget that. Yes, we do need to give credit to Ruth for her courage, for her choices, for her attitude. She was brave, and we applaud that. But she would have never been able to do that unless God had given her the power to do so. We can't forget that because we know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so it's time for homework now. Um, On your seats, you saw this half a page that says uh, Community Weaving Project. So we're, um, in August, we're going to have some kid-friendly summer Sundays. I'm going to wait or I'm going to dance. 
till it keeps going. See, you should have not stopped it. I would have danced for you. We're going to have this, this weaving project, and we're going to have, uh, we're going to build this huge tapestry, and it will be covered, you know, um, we'll create a tapestry that will be covered in stories from you. And so if you can take this home and just write a story or describe what the question is there, there's a few different questions, so write it down. You don't need to write your name, and then bring it back for the next class, because uh, someone's going to write that story on a piece of fabric. And then eventually we're going to weave in all of our stories together. So please bring it back. This is your ticket to enter tomorrow. I mean, next week. <laughs> yes. It's in your, in your language. We'll find a way to translate. We, we can write it in Swedish. I'm very serious. I'm always serious. Come on, Kirsten. <laughs> Yes, write it in your language, please. In your native language. You can write it in English, Donna. Be great. And the second, the second thing, we're, you're going to research the word kinsman redeemer. What it means, and you can go as deep as you want to. And that is, that is the homework for next class. So I hope you enjoyed today. I hope that the Spirit spoke to you, that you discovered more new things about, about Ruth, about the Bible, about the structure of the Bible. Now you have three great tools in your pocket. You can start reading another book and start using them. Start um, discovering things on your own. So feel free to do that. You can include that as part of your homework. And in the meantime, have a great week, and I will see you next Wednesday. Thank you so much.